You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 169 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm I'm okay, Val. I'm yep. I'm I'm here. What have you been up to lately? Oh, uh, well, I had a rude awakening uh, yesterday because mm-hmm. I um no, not like yet, not yesterday. When did I have it? Gosh, I'm to see. Look, this is how dithery I am today. Um, yes. Last week, I got an email from my publisher, and it was like, um, "We've done a schedule for the second book in the Adaban Cipher, and we're just wondering if you'll be able to get us your revised manuscript by the first week of May, which of course <laughs> is now." And <laughs> I was like, "Talk about oh, notice." <laughs> well, yeah, no, it was yeah. And I thought to myself, because you know, I've been I've been tinkering with it, and I've been weeding the garden and faffing and thinking, and because there's a little bit of thinking to do with this one, I have to kind of rearrange right. things a little bit. And um, and of course, we've had the school holidays, so I've been a little bit here and a little bit there, and I am in no position to send this thing back this week. So I had to go back to her and say, well. How does the second week of May sound? So that's all fine and dandy, but now this week I am just intensively. Um, yeah. Yeah, which is, I, you know, because, you know, we've been talking about this for a while. I have been actually editing this thing for a little while yes. now. But, but you know, there's editing and then there's, which is thinking and reading and doing a little bit of a twitch around the edges and, you know, mm. writing down where I need to move a comma and stuff like that. There's that. But then there's actual, Alison, you need to actually do the heavy lifting and, and mm. get into it. And um, it's what I, look, you know what? It's always, I find that it's always that, you know, they say that the worst moment of anything is before you start. And yeah. I, and I, that, that is really the case with an edit because I always, I always think about what needs to be done and it freaks me out so much because I just think this is going to be so hard and how am I going to do this and I need to resolve that question differently and I don't know how to mm-hmm. do it. What am I going to do? And you know, like I overthink it to, to uh, you know, out the wazoo. And um, but then you actually get started and. Yeah. You know, you start to move things and then they it makes sense to move something else and then you start to, That's you know, right. and it's um, it's it's making more sense. But the, the idea of tearing something apart really hurts. But the reality, mm. reality of it is that you just get into it and you just do it one word at a time and then yep. before you know it, you're at the end and it's done. That's my net. That's my current optimistic thinking anyway. Now, if you're a new listener to this podcast, Alison is the author of the the Mapmaker Chronicles series, which is an awesome series for middle grade readers. But her next series is called the Adaban Cipher. Now, I need to ask you because we've been speaking about the Adaban Cipher here and there as we've, you know, tracked where you've been with the manuscript and stuff. 
tell us, what is the Ativan cipher? <laughs> As in the actual Ativan cipher? I can't tell. I can't tell you what it is really, but it's um, really? it's a coded manuscript, illuminated manuscript. So if you think of oh. the Book of Kells, or you think of of you know that sort of you know age of of book, um, it's a coded version of one of those Ooh. and it's got the beautiful you know illustrations throughout it and it's oh. yeah but it's all written in code yes so oh, I love it's this. um and there is actually there is actually a real manuscript called the yes. Voynich manuscript which yes. no one has ever been able to read it's again a beautiful right. medieval um uh they call it a codex and it's handwritten in an unknown writing system um and so you know this is a because you know I have you know me I've got these quirky I'm a bit like you with your rope art I guess Mm. but my quirkiness you know extends to medieval manuscripts and maps and um I just I love them I just think they're so beautiful I remember I went to see the book of Kells when I was in Mm. Ireland Um, I've actually seen it a few times I've been a few times to see it and um I just it it's they make my mouth water I don't know how to explain it but I have this um I have this overwhelming desire to actually possess something like that like it's a I real it. you know it's real Absolutely. it's visceral I they're know. so beautiful and i just yes. and i think that that's where the idea for the adaban cipher came from it was actually more that notion of just right. wanting that book and that's yes. kind of what the premise of the whole you know series is is the mystery wow. of what this thing is and it's a it's it's about you know people want this thing and it needs to be protected and um mm. e- even though Gabe, our hero, has no idea what it is. He doesn't even know what he's protecting. He just knows that, you know, he's been told that he yeah. needs to look after this thing and, and that they, this mysterious they with a capital T, cannot have it. And so, you know, yeah. he's – but he also, you know, feels that um, there's a point very early in the book where he's given a decision of, of, you know, what to do with this thing. Does he want to keep it? Does he want to hide it? Does he want to get rid of it? What does he want to do? And yeah. he just has that overwhelming, no, I want, you know, it's I've got to look after this thing. So I yes. think that that feeling of wanting to possess that book is probably what drove a lot of the manuscripts. And that, it wow. actually uh, drives a, that feeling, drive, that notion of feeling drives a lot of my writing in the sense of the Mapmaker Chronicles came from that feeling of looking out at the stars mm. and not, you know, that sense of not knowing where the edges of the universe are. And I guess right. that feeling is what I took into writing Quinn's story, you know, because oh. he's out sailing on the oceans and they have no idea where the edges are and he thinks he's going to, you know, sail off the end of the world. And mm. um, so that that kind of was what drove uh, the start of the Mapmaker Chronicles and the, that feeling of wanting to possess that book is what drove the start of the Adaban Cipher. Wow. And are you creating your own code for the Adaban uh, Cipher? Now, see, there's an interesting question. I can't actually reveal anything about that because it's um, oh. the reveal of that is all, you know, uh, it's a really interesting thing because I uh, had to outline this series. Um, you, know, yes. you know, I don't generally outline a lot, but I, I really, because I had this, I started writing and I've got this coded manuscript and it's amazing and then I'm starting to think, okay, you know what, I'm actually going to have to work out what this code is because yeah. at some point we need, we need to reveal what this book is and what it contains and all of those sorts of things. So, yeah, um, yeah I had to work through that before I could uh, really submit the first book to my publisher. 
Wow. Because I, I knew the first question was going to be, okay, Al, so what's the code? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I had, I had to give that some serious thought. Wow. Well, this is very exciting and I totally get what you mean about – you know, old manuscripts, I love poring over them and looking at them and I'm mm. in awe if I'm even near them because uh, I think it's absolutely fascinating. So I, I totally get it. Can't wait for this series to come out. Anyway, let's move on to our shout-out this week, which is to Susan. Now, Susan sent us a message, so thank you, Susan. Now, Susan has said, I love listening to AWC's podcasts. They keep me company on my hours drive to babysit my granddaughter each Thursday. Sometimes I want to join in the chat and find myself talking and laughing along with you and Alison. I love <laughs> Hi, Susan. <laughs> I love the tips and ideas and especially enjoy hearing how other writers go about the tricky business of crafting their stories. That's there you go from Susan. Yeah, Thank you so lovely. much, Susan. We really appreciate you um, uh, reaching out and letting us know because sometimes we don't know who's out there in the world. We, don't. we actually just feel like we're talking to each other regularly, which is <laughs> you can probably tell that by sometimes where the conversations go, I feel. But anyway. Yes. Mm. But thank you, Susan. And also, if anyone has uh, 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we would be really grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings. Now, shall we move on to the world of writing and publishing this week? Oh, let's. So, do you remember, Alison, when you first read The Outsiders? <sighs> yes, I do, actually. This is a really interesting. I, I didn't realise we um, – I'm, I'm often surprised by Valerie's links, people. I don't always know what we're going to be talking about because Valerie will often find the links and then I sort of open them as we start talking and go, oh, okay, we're going to talk about that today. Um, so this is a really interesting one because, um, of course, we're talking about The Outsiders, which was written by Essie Hinton um, when she was about 17, I think published mm. when she was 19. And she um, – I'm not sure if we've talked about this before, but she is prolific on Twitter Right. So she is a regular on Twitter and she, um, my, so my son, Bookboy, uh, Bookboy AU, uh, is, so he's 13 years old and I gave him The Outsiders. So I do remember when I read The Outsiders and he has been a favourite of mine for a very, very long time. And mm. so last year I gave it to him to read and mm. I said, oh, you will love this because, you know, mum read it and he gave me that look that said, yeah, mum, whatever. <laughs> and, um, and then he read it and he, of course, did love it and then he told all his friends about it and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. So it was, it's one of those books that's a real you know favorite in our house yes. and he found her on Twitter like I didn't know she was on Twitter but he's on Twitter mm. and he found her on Twitter and and um they've had a couple of little conversations and um, wow yeah yeah but how cool is this he he tweeted her to say she said something about writing and he tweeted her and and she said you know are you writing something and he said yes I'm working on a, you know a short story or whatever and she tweeted back good luck with your S.E. Hinton, good luck with your writing. And he was so excited that he printed it out and stuck it on his wall. Oh, wow. A tweet from S.E. Hinton telling you to, you know, good luck with your writing. So she's actually great. She's very, she's quite funny on on Twitter and she's um, very opinionated. Um, but she, yeah, look, honestly, the book is fantastic. If you haven't read it, I'm sure many of you have. And the movie is also awesome. We found yes. it at JB Hi-Fi for nine ninety five just recently oh, wow. and watched it because it was one of my favorite movies of the eighties. Well, it starred all of the Brat Pack, right? So it all was just, of them. 
oh, so good. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so it was the start of the Brat Pack, wasn't it? So, I mean, there was Patrick Swayze, there was Matt Dillon, there was Rob Lowe, there was C. Thomas Howe, Ralph Macchio, Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, yeah, mm. all of them. All of them. Yeah, like, and they were so young. They were like all of them were between basically 16 and, and mm. 19. Mm. And yeah. so cute. And so, so cute. I remember. To my teen cute. self. As, anyway. All right. Yes. So you've, you've obviously shared this link with us for a reason. So, you know, not just to oh, hear yeah. about the reminisce about the outsiders. So <laughs> where are we going Can with this? Can you believe Abby? that there is now a 50th anniversary <laughs> edition? Five zero. <laughs> Not 15, um, 50. It turns 50 this year. This is astounding. I know. Uh, I, I actually can't believe it's it's that old. <laughs> I mean, I reckon I read it uh, the year the movie came out, which was 1983. So I read it in either 83 or 84. I'm pretty sure 83. And um, Did you do it for school? We actually studied it as a school text. I can't remember, to be honest. Yeah, that's where I was first introduced to it. We studied it as a school text. It was probably yes. the best school text we did. <laughs> mm, yeah, I can't I, – I really can't remember. But um, I remember loving it, of course, and, of course, I really loved the movie. And, um, yeah, she – so Essie Hinton is still in touch with all of the actors in the movie. Um, she's forged quite a good relationship to all of them. And, um, yeah, she catches up with, she says in this article, which we'll put in the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. So there's an inter- a great interview with her um, in Entertainment Magazine. And she talks about the fact that she started writing this book when she was 15. Mm. And it was actually the third book she'd written because she'd written a couple of others that were stuck in her bottom drawer or whatever. Uh, one was about the Civil War. One was... Uh, about kids working on a dude ranch, <laughs> but it wasn't till The Outsiders till that you know she that one got published, and it was the third draft um, that she'd done of The Outsiders before she sent it before the publisher saw it, and that is um, when they decided to publish it. So pretty pretty good. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a really – look, I think the interesting thing about the story is that it's so – like, as I said, like my 12-year-old read it and it's yeah. still relevant to – like all of yeah. the stuff is in – I mean, it's obviously of a time, um, but it's still relevant to kids and I think that they still relate to it. And the other thing I find fascinating about it, and I wrote about this a few years ago on my blog, was I reread it as a parent um, probably five or six years ago, like a long time uh, – yeah, a while ago. And um, – Reading it as a parent is so different to reading it as a as a teenager. So I read it as a teenager and I was like, wow, this is so cool and look at these guys and they're living by themselves and they're doing their own thing and it was all, you know, whatever. And I read it as a parent and I felt so sad for them. Like I just – well, because I re- – you know who I – because, you know, when I was um, – when I was a, a kid, you know, the, the – what's the name of the Patrick Swayze character? I've totally forgotten his name. Do you remember? Mm. The older was brother? Was he Soda Pop? No, no, Soda Pop was, was um, Brad Pitt, wasn't he? Not Brad Pitt. Oh, I can't remember. Mm. Not Brad Pitt. Ponyboy no, was C. Thomas Howe. Yeah, yeah, it was the older one. Anyway, I can't think of his name, but the older boy is working, is trying to keep these kids in line. You know, there's no parents, so he's basically responsible for the two brothers. And He like, was Daryl. Daryl, that's it. And as a kid, so as a kid, he was like the, he was basically the, he was the, 
fun police, you know. When you mm. when you read the book as a teenager, he was the fun police. When you read it as an adult, you just think, oh, that <laughs> that poor kid. He's like 19 years old. He's trying to manage two younger brothers. He's got mm. all these other reprobates hanging around the place. You know, they've all got knives. They're all doing their thing. And it's just it's a, it's a really different perspective. I really recommend that you go back and have a look at it again as an adult because it's quite a different perspective from reading it as wow. a kid. And um, I completely forgot Leif Garrett was in it too. <laughs> Leif Garrett? Yeah. I'm just Who looking at he? the cast list now. Uh, he was Bob Sheldon <laughs> and Diane Lane, the beautiful Diane Lane uh, was in it and she's, you know, I just she was been very young at the time. Emilio Estevez was in it. Everyone was Everyone in it. Everyone was in it. Not Brad Pitt though. I was wrong about that. No. Yeah, so no. – um, Cool. And, uh, yeah, Matt Dillon played Dallas. Remember that? Mm. Anyway. Anyway, let's move on, Dallas. Yeah, let's move on. Let's go on to something else that I came across. Um, in the one thing I did study at school, I don't know if you studied this at school, but the poems of Emily Dickinson. And yep. I'm not sure why necessarily we chose to study an American poet but anyway um but they were great and uh so there's an emily dickinson museum in america in amherst and there is what you can do i've discovered and we'll put the link in the show notes in case anyone is visiting the emily dickinson museum you can hire uh emily dickinson's creative space where she actually wrote her poetry so you can spend up to two hours in the in the bedroom and there's a small table and chair uh you must leave the um door open however at all times and um you can use laptops and power cords but no writing implements except for pencils are permitted so you can't bring a pen in right and (laughs) so yeah you can Hire the room by the hour. So that's a different kind of hire room by the hour scenario than what people might think, but you can go write poem, your own poems in Emily Dickinson's bedroom. There you go. Mm. Would you do that? No. <laughs> you might not for Emily Dickinson, but you might for someone else. Maybe. I don't know. Look, I Spend an hour in a room with I a I went to Shakespeare's house. Yes. And uh, was – you know, my my biggest memory of it was how low the ceilings were and how short I people know, were in those times. Because I think I kept smacking my head on the beams. Yes. But yes. um, I know because I no because I don't think that I, I I'm not one of those people that has it. I mean, I, I've written about this. We've talked about this. I'm I'm not one of those people that believes that that a room provides inspiration. I don't believe your writing space provides inspiration. I think that you. Yeah, that's true. You provide that's inspiration true. within the room. So I don't I don't think I need to sit in Shakespeare's bedroom to feel or, or Emily Dickinson's bedroom to be inspired. Okay. I guess. I don't know. What what I mean, what would you get out of it? You tell me. I mean, it's a tiny little desk. I don't think it would even fit my laptop on it. But no. what what would you get out of it? Like if you would you do it? Is that something you would do? Well, I wouldn't for Emily Dickinson, but hmm. I would say for John Bon Jovi or something. So it depends on the person, right? What do you think sit in his bedroom and write a song? I might not write a song, I might just go sit in his bedroom and roll Honestly. around. I mean, just, I'm sorry, but that's just weird. And you will notice that they say the bedroom door must be kept open at all times. <laughs> no, I, I just uh, – look, I honestly think that um, 
I, don't, I wouldn't need an hour. I wouldn't mind going and having a look. Do you know what I mean? And have a poke about whatever. But I don't think I'd sit there and write a poem. I think I would feel the weight of expectation. I think it's putting too much pressure on yourself in some ways. <laughs> like you're sitting there thinking, Emily Dickinson wrote here. Why can't I? Mm. Yes. All right, then. Anyway, um, like, you know, some, there might be some Would you do that? Yes. Tell us, would, would, you would you be inspired by sitting in a famous writer's, you know, writing space? Do you think it would it would inspire the muse for you or not? I would be very interested to hear. Absolutely. Let us know. Hmm. All right. We have another link from, this is from Writer's Digest and it's uh, by someone called Caitlin Johnson. And I thought it was an interesting link because it's called Mastering the Dreaded Synopsis. Now, here's the thing. I read quite a number of synopses and they come across my desk and they, some people get it. They get what a synopsis is. And other people, they write a back cover blurb. And that is not a synopsis. So, you know, the back cover of a book, the blurb that says, um, this is 2017's literary equivalent to the next Gone Girl. Who is going to find her on the train? Who is going to do this, find out more in this book kind of thing? And it's really an advertisement. It's not a synopsis. A synopsis has to have all of the elements of the actual story, right? And it's not just a back cover blurb. So this outlines what you need to include in a synopsis and it suggests that you need a be- you need to describe the beginning, especially who the character is, where they live, why they're the lead of the novel, that it needs to include the drama that's in the novel, it needs to include the next steps, you know, the consequence of that drama or conflict or whatever. It needs You need to be clear on what the stakes are of the of the book like if this doesn't happen this terrible other thing is going to happen for example mm. you need to actually describe the climax of your book and which doesn't have to be a world ca- catastrophic event or anything it just needs to be the climax of that particular story and you actually need to give away your ending <laughs> mm. or, or or thereabouts so mm. it's it's not something that your reader is going to read on the back cover of a book because that gives everything away but your publisher needs to know there's an actual story there and you need to spell out every step. Now, it, what I always find interesting is how pantsers do that. <laughs> when you know, if they're trying to submit a story and they haven't quite got to the end yet, obviously new writers should actually finish their story and then write the synopsis. Um, but, of course, some more experienced writers uh, um, need to su- submit their synopses um, you know, even before they finish their story sometimes. Mm. Yes, let's talk about that, shall we? Because, um, <laughs> yes, let's, let's. Let's, let's, ha- let's have that conversation. Let's go there. Um, so I have to state right up front that writing a synopsis is probably my idea of the worst possible day I can have. I <laughs> really, really dislike them. Um, really Why? dislike them so much. Oh, because I just, I, I, um, I find them, I find them very difficult and I, I don't know too many authors. I think Natasha Lester doesn't mind a synopsis, but um, generally speaking, Kate Forsyth's probably all over them because she's so clever with her yeah. planning and stuff like that. But um, no, I really dislike them. And I had to write one recently for, um, what was I writing for? Oh, for the Adaban Cipher, for the first book. So this is written, this is written, edited, proofread, you know, the whole wazoo. And yeah. I had to write a synopsis. So my publisher rings me and says, um, 
we're taking it to the children's fair. You know, we need a synopsis to, that they can hand out. You know, so this is not a blurb. This is not the selling document. They've done yeah. that. This is the actual synopsis. Mm. And then she says to me, and here's the clanger. She goes, we'd like it to be one page. Ooh. And I just went, oh, like, Ooh. really? I just, honestly. So I wrote this thing and then I edited it and then I edited it again and then I edited it again and then I sent it to her and it was still three pages. And I oh. said, <laughs> I said, I'm sure that you can cut this better than I can. I've had three goes at it. And she just laughed because she knows what I'm like. Um but I find them very hard because I just want to put every single thing that happens into th- in the book in the synopsis. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, it's, yeah, so that's, yeah, they take a lot of practice, I think, and I'm still really bad at them. So, you know, if that makes you feel better. If you're struggling with the synopsis, so am I. Let's just go there together. But yes. um, they are an interesting document. And as a as, – I mean, I, I do tend to write the whole first draft before I write a synopsis because that's just the way I work. Mm. Like it's – I yeah. prefer to do that. Um, I will outline what happens next. Like, as I said, I had to work out the code, et cetera, for the out-of-band cipher because I had to outline – I actually, you know, I had to outline the second book when I sent the first one in so they could mm. see that I was able to resolve it. This is the thing. Like, you know, basically all your agent or editor wants to see is that you have a – you have resolved everything that needs to be resolved mm. within your within your book. Um, so I did have to do that, and it was just like I I I try not to think of them as synopses. I I just think of them as outlines, and then I I don't get as stressed mm. by them. And it was basically with something like that. It's just so this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. This is the code. End of story. So that's so funny. You don't think of them as synopses. You just think of them as outlines. What mm. happens in your brain that makes you think that they're different? I just trick myself. Like, well, you know, you've got, you've got to, honestly, Valerie, you've got to do what you've got to do to um, to get through it because if I sit down to write a synopsis, so I just get freaked out, whereas if all I'm doing is outlining my next book, it's a totally different story. That's fine. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, that is a great technique. So if you are also daunted by a synopsis, maybe take a tip from Alison and just pretend it's not really yeah, a synopsis. It's just an outline. It's an outline. It's an outline. <laughs> this is what happens. Here it is. Oh, that's too funny. Okay, anyway, let's move on to our giveaway this week, something a little bit different. Now, many people will know, well, certainly Sydney people who have come to our classes at the Australian Writers' Centre in Milsons Point, is that literally right outside our door, literally, uh, well, there's a bit of a veranda, but just beyond that, is the is Wendy Whiteley's garden. And it's a beautiful, beautiful garden where that uh, Wendy Whiteley, who is the wife of Brett Whiteley, um, has, has created in conjunction with North Sydney Council, and it's a fairyland. You go there, you can have lunch, you wander around, and there's all these little gorgeous little nooks and crannies and things that she's landscaped with little quirky accessories, and it's right on smack bang on Sydney Harbour, and it's stunning. Um, so I love the our giveaway this week because it's we have 10 double passes to the film Whiteley, uh, and Whiteley it's as it says in the uh, marketing materials, is a visual journey into the private life and creative legacy of Australia's most iconic artist, Brett Whiteley, told in his own words, using personal letters, notebooks and photographs interwoven with reconstructions, animations, archival interviews and rare footage. 
Whiteley's constant muse was his wife, Wendy, who is the one who keeps the garden. And, and of course, Brett Whiteley has had some very famous paintings of Eleven Bay and, and Sydney Harbour, both a catalyst for his creative passions and a witness to their incendiary consequences. She remains the sole custodian of his artistic Legacy and Wendy was the subject of some of his most famous and popular paintings. And we sometimes see Wendy out the front watering the garden. Um, and so we have uh, 10 double passes to give away, and you just need to go to writerscenter.com.au slash win if you want to enter. And the competition closes the 8th of May. So writerscenter.com.au slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Are you ready for the word of the week, Al? <laughs> you ask me this every week. What can I say? But yes, Val, I am excited. I'm clapping because I think this is so, this is a good one. Well, I, I think they're all good ones, of course. But, of course you um, do, yes. Okay. Have you heard of this? An apple knocker. <laughs> An apple knocker? You like apple, like the fruit, apple knocker, like when you knock on the door. Apple knocker. No. No, I have not heard of that. What is an okay. apple knocker? Please so tell me. So it might, it might not be too common a term in Australia, although it might catch on. And even though it's not listed in the Macquarie Dictionary, because it's a colloquial term that is used in the US and oh. it means an ignorant or unsophisticated person, you know, like a, a hillbilly uh, perhaps or um, an unsophisticated farmer or something like that. Now, there could be a few reasons for this because I tried to do a bit of research like why is an apple knocker, you know, <laughs> an ignorant or unsophisticated person. And one of the reasons could be that such a person is just so silly that for fun they do something like, you know, knock apples out of trees with a stick like for mm -hmm. something to do, which really is a wasteful pastime for many reasons, not just because it wrecks the apple. But also the apple is a symbol of education, right? You know, apple mm. for the teacher and all of that. And so oh. somebody who is, if, if you're apple knocking, you might basically be knocking education, you know, you might eschew education. So mm. apple knocker. So is that a... Is it a historic term? Like it doesn't sound like something that I mean. It's it's kind of mean. <laughs> Don't you think? Kind mean? of mean. It's kind of mean. I guess. Uh, mm. So, how would you use it in a sentence? You might say, "Oh, there were a um, hundred applications for the job, but you know they were all apple knockers." Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Val, I'll leave you with that one. You can I'm, I'm not sure I'll ever use the term apple knocker, but that's good. Thank you for letting us know that it's out there. Yeah, it's a quaint term. I quite liked it. Okay. Anyway, uh, who is our writer in residence this week? 
Oh, this week we are talking to the lovely Zanny Louise. And Zanny is a um, – Zanny is – look at me. I've had a complete mental blank. <laughs> Zanny is an awesome children's book author. And she has a new uh, picture book out at the moment. comes out this week. And it's a lovely, lovely book. It's uh, The illustrations in it are amazing and it's a, it's a fantastic little story. So we had – a, um, a very good chat about writing picture books. She's also started writing chapter books and a couple of other things. And we talked about the differences between some of these things, particularly, you know, as a, as a, um, you know, she's new to them, but there's a, she has a, a full series uh, that's that's been commissioned and is coming out. So she's doing incredibly well for herself. And we just had a bit of a talk about the progress of her career and how, um, and, and the art of writing picture books. Zanny Louise writes warm stories for children with a twist of quirk and sprinkle of humour. Her first picture book, Too Busy Sleeping, with Anna Pignataro, was long-listed for the 2016 CBCA Book Awards. Archie and the Bear, illustrated by highly acclaimed international illustrator David McIntosh, will be released this week. Zanny's four-book series for independent readers, Tiggy and the Magic Paintbrush, will be released in 2018. So Zanny Louise is very, very busy. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me on the podcast. All right, so let's start way back when. We'll go back in the Wayback Machine. When did you decide you wanted to try writing picture books? Well, it was like a lot of writer's story, quite an organic um, process. So I've always loved writing and enjoyed it as a child and written lots of stories all through school and university and after university and work. But it wasn't until I moved up to the Northern Rivers where I live now in New South Wales, um, having finished full-time work because I was going to have a baby, that I felt really driven to do something more creative. And so I was wandering around with my baby who needed a lot of pushing in prams and uh, carrying in the sling. She was one of those sort of babies. And every time, uh, everywhere I walked, I sort of, my head would be filling up with stories and I, I really had a burning need to sort of start writing them down. And at that time, it was really short stories for adults. Um, and I joined a writer's group in Bangalore and that gave me the incentive to write every week and so, or every month really, we had to present a story. But it was a great incentive to do that. And I started to go, going to courses and getting really, uh, the more things, the more I looked into it, the more excited I became about writing, the more sure I felt I really wanted to do this as a thing. And then I started a blog. And again, it was a very evolutionary, uh, is that the word? Um, evolving process. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I started blogging and I got really, really into blogging just for the sake of blogging. And I was blogging about parenting stories and little funny things that were happening in our lives. And I really enjoyed that. And I loved the blogging community. And just out of the blue one day, a PR um, rep contacted me as they do and asked would I be interested in interviewing Mem Fox on my blog and doing a promotion for her new book and I thought oh absolutely I grew up on Mem Fox um, and so I got to do a, a written interview with her and it just got me thinking oh well maybe I could interview authors and uh, picture book or children's book creators on my blog and promote their books and so I started to do that and I was contacted the various publishers and asked them to send me books that I could review on my blog and 
yeah, so every month I was getting tons and tons of books and it was really lovely because I've got two small children and they love listening to stories and we were reading lots of new stories all the time. And, yeah, so the more I did that, the more I really felt, well, this is what I want to be writing. This is where my passion really lies. And so I started playing around with, well, at first um, stories in verse and then, yeah, more sort of simple children's books, uh, story ideas. Yeah, so that's really where it began. So when you say you were playing around with ideas and things like that, were you just sort of writing entire books to see what that would look like? Were you um, yeah. were you just sort of playing? Like, yeah, maybe describe that process a little bit. And then what did you do to then kind of take it to the next level? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the first story that kind of came in its entirety was a really silly story about a sock who wanted to break free from its ordinary life and uh, it sets off to find, you know, freedom and it ends up finding all these singular socks on a beach sipping mocktails. <laughs> yeah, it was very silly. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> like was, it. Now yeah. I know where they go. That makes perfect yes. sense. Well, They're that was right. Yeah. Mocktails. Okay. Exactly, by the coast. Socktails. Um, sock oh, I like that. Um, yeah, so no. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so that was, I mean, it was just a silly little verse story. And um, I think uh, the second story I wrote was Too Busy Sleeping, and it's obviously not the final uh, version that ended up as a book, but it was definitely the first manuscript for that. And that writing of those stories coincided with, again, a very fortuitous sort of, you know, thing that could happen um, was that, through my blog, one of my blog readers was um, the managing director of Hardy Grant Egmont and she's a mum with a young family and she just had a child. She had a child around the same time as I had my second child and a friend of hers had said, oh, read Zanny's blog. She talks a lot about parenting things. And so she started reading my blog and she really liked sort of the things I was writing about and at some point reached out to me to ask a question about um, a porticot, which I asked my community, and they they talk, you know told me what the best porticot was, which incidentally is Phil and Ted's apparently. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering, yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, and so that was a lovely sort of you know connection. But then she she wrote back and she said, oh well, thank you for that. And by the way, I'm a children's book publisher, and can I send you some books for your children? I was like, oh, my gosh, absolutely. And then when she sent the books, um, they were Little Hair books, and that's the publisher of um, Too Busy Sleeping and Archie and the Bear, um, and I love the books. And she also sent her business card, and I said to my husband, keep that card in your wallet, and that's never – and I, I said it to him because he tends not to lose things, <laughs> whereas I, I could – and I do. Um, anyway, so he looked after that business card for me and it also gave me that little incentive to write those stories. So, yeah, so that original connection to publishing was through Natasha. How exciting. So, well, okay then. So how did you how, – how long did you need to hold on to the business card before <laughs> – your first book, Too Busy Sleeping, came to be published? Uh, well, it actually wasn't that long because um, whilst I was having these thoughts in my head, oh, yes, I want to write children's books and I was playing around with stories, I had also put it out there on my Facebook community, which is linked to my blog, and I said, oh, I've just, I know what I want to do with my life. I want to write children's stories. And because Natasha read that comment, she then sent me a private message and said, um, I'd love to see your manuscripts, Annie. And so that's really, it really was quite a short period of time. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, but then the, the publishing of the book, as you would know, took a few years. All right, so let's talk about that then. Can you tell us a little bit about what that process to publication was? Like, was there anything about that process that surprised you? Like, how did it, how did it come mm-hmm. about? Well, it was all very exciting, as you you know, as you all would know. Um, yeah, so every every email that came, I'd be waiting on these emails um, from the publisher, and and they would sort of say, Look, "Yeah, we love it, and we'll let you know in a couple of months, or we'll let you know soon." And then a couple of months would go past, and then maybe a few months, and you know, every time you open your inbox, your heart rate accelerates <laughs> with excitement. Um, and yeah, but it does take a long time. And so there was a bit of back and forth between um, the publisher and myself um, until, uh, so the first um, point was getting, you know, the, to the point that she liked the manuscript. And then it was basically an editing process. So we went back and forth, back and forth um, three or four times. And, and, and my this publisher. Is just on the text, right? This is just back yeah, and forth. Purely and on the text. How yeah. many words are we talking? It was. It started off about five hundred and ended up being about three hundred and fifty. Okay. And it was intensive editing. Um, so Margreta Lamont, who is my publisher at Little Hair, she is an amazing editor, um, and she was very, very generous with her editing you know, suggestions and her process. And she she did it all through track changes. And so she she showed me, you know, what she was doing and how how she was thinking basically as she worked through my text. So for a first time author, that was an amazing gift really because I got to see the way she works and I got to you know do that to my story and and it really was you know an amazing insight into how that all works um and and yeah she still does that um, but maybe to a lesser extent with um, more recent manuscripts because I'm trusted to do that a bit more myself but um yeah so that that was really fantastic so that went mm, I can't really say maybe several months and then and then it had to go to acquisitions um so that's the sales team and it had to be acquired oh, and right. so, so this was all before it was acquired you did like mm-hmm. so you were doing some intensive work before it even got exactly. you know, through the sales yeah. meeting okay yeah and that's not always the case but yeah this is this all happened before acquisitions so once Magretta was happy with the manuscript it went through acquisitions and then um yeah, and so then that process. Uh, so then I waited another couple of months to find out what the result of that was, and as in a, you know very sort of high drama um, story or movie, uh, the meeting get, kept getting put back, put back for various reasons. <laughs> so every time, every month, I think, oh, this is it. Yeah, it was another month, and so yeah. But anyway, when I finally got that email to say yes, it's been acquired, and we've decided to pair you with Anna Pinataro, and I loved her work, so it was very exciting. All and right, the champagne so- was drunk. <laughs> Much champagne, I'd imagine. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about that process of working with Anna, because of course you're a first-time author at this stage, and you've not done any of this stuff before. Did you have any understanding of what it would like be like to work with an illustrator, and like what was your role? Like one the text they were happy enough with the text to put it through acquisitions was there a lot of changes to the text beyond that or like did you you know Mm. because we've interviewed picture book authors in the past and they talk a lot about you know leaving room in the text for illustrations and things like that was that something that you had to like then work through with Anna as well or was it had had you done that work beforehand 
Mm. With um, little hair, you tend to do that work beforehand. So Magretta's got a great vision um, and so she really, uh, part of her process I think is when she receives a manuscript, if she can visualise it as, you know, with images and, and quite often the particular illustrator, you know, will be visualised as well. Um, so that's a big part of her process. Um, so usually by the time it's gone to acquisitions, uh, the text is fairly much ready and there, there might be a little bit of tweaking. Um, but, yeah, leaving room for illustrations is very important. So uh, and also with my um, future manuscripts for Five Mile, um uh, that they will also be illustrated um and so that is um that it's a similar process so quite often the editor um will say uh well this line could be expressed through pictures so let's just drop that you know so that that is a big part of the editing is is definitely leaving room for the images is that difficult as an author in the sense that particularly like, like the tiggy and the magic paintbrush are is uh, sort of you know early readers so I mean as a as an author you know your your job is to get everything on the page isn't it like it's to mm-hmm. kind of write all the things so that the reader can be exactly where they need to be and when you're dealing with very early readers like that um, word choice and uh, all of that sort of stuff is so important so um, how how do, is is it a case of okay well then I'm just going to trust the editor and the illustrator are going to get this and they're going to do it or how does that mm-hmm. work? Yeah, I mean, that is a big, maybe it's just because I am um, quite in the early stages of my career, but I really have a lot of trust in all those people. Mm. And it's a huge privilege to work with all those people because the way I see it is, um, say, Magretta has had many decades worth of experience working in, you know, very big publishing houses. And I really do trust her, um, her judgment. And it's the same with Anna Pinataro. She's done well over 60 books. Um, and so she really knows what she's doing. And David McIntosh really knows what he doing so yeah it's a, I, I do have a lot of trust that um, they will get get what I what I mean and and to give you a good example actually um, so I've recently signed a contract with Scholastic for a picture book and the the manuscript for that is 50 words or less um, and many of those words are repeated um, so it's a very very minimal text and I really felt well, if I just sent that as a text to someone, I think it would have been lost completely. Yeah. But um, because I'm a fairly visual person myself, um, I don't intend to illustrate my own books, but what I did was a line drawing of each uh, spread um, to indicate sort of what was going on in, oh, in each okay. in each thing. And I wouldn't do that for everything, but for this manuscript it was particularly important. But I've found that that sort of sketching out my stories as I write them has liberated them quite a lot and it really does mean a lot of it can be said through images rather than just through the text. Hmm. All right, so let's talk about what happened next after Too Busy Sleeping came out, was long listed for the CBCA Book Awards in 2016, everybody's cheering, it was fantastic. What happened after that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, it was exactly like that. Um, Yeah, so actually it was, I think it was the day Too Busy Sleeping was released on the shelves. I got um, an email from my Greta at Little Hair to tell me that um, Archie and the Bear had been acquired by Hardy Grant. That's a big day. Yeah, 
was a big day. It was very exciting. 1st of September, 2015. Um, <laughs> Mark it in your calendars, people. <laughs> put it, yes. Historic event. Um, yeah, so actually, so after Too Busy Sleeping had come out, uh, sorry, been acquired, um, so there was about two or three years between the point of acquisition and when it was released. Wow. So that was two and a half years of me developing other stories and I can honestly say I wrote I don't know over a hundred manuscripts doesn't mean they're any any of them are worth publishing but you know I wrote many many stories in that time and I had sent several of them to to my publisher um, and uh, yeah they were met with sort of varying degrees of enthusiasm but then I sent one which was Archie and the Bear and I got an email back that day saying um, that she loved it and yeah so if, it didn't take that long actually to go through acquisitions. Right so it was just a matter of you sort of trying different things to see yeah. you know what was going to be the right thing and did you ever have moments so when you were as you said it would, there, these things are being received with varying degrees of enthusiasm <laughs> did you have a moment where you thought I can't I can. I'll never be able to write another one. I'm never mm-hmm. going to have another book. I'm a one book wonder. Is that? Did mm-hmm. you did you have those thoughts? I've had that thought many times. Um, yeah. So first, uh, it wasn't until you know some time after uh, I'd first written Too Busy Sleeping that I realised that I could pitch more stories. I sort of thought, oh, I've got to wait for that book to come out and then I can do some more. But really, that's really going to be a very slow career. Um, I've got to get cracking. Um, so that's when I started sending things. And my first story, I really thought, oh, I think my publisher really liked this. And, yeah, she didn't mind it. But, you know, it wasn't – I could tell that it wasn't the same uptake as, as the other one. So um, yeah, at first I was a little bit um, – worried about my ability to do it um but then I just kept on going and I thought well look I'm I I enjoy writing stories are coming to me constantly I'm just gonna keep writing them down and the more I write them down you know the the looser you become I suppose and the more uh freely you write um and so that was what was happening so then when you know I wrote Archie it really sort of came quite easily and it was a really lovely process to write that story um and yeah, but since then, I, I, you know, although I've written many, many, many things since then, um, uh, yeah, particularly last year, I had about 10 or so months of, yeah, a little bit, you know, a, a lot of quiet from the publishers. And I was getting a little bit worried about my ability to make this a, you know, a purposeful career. Um, but as it turns out, you know, it's just publishing. Things are a bit slower. Um, mm. And eventually I heard back from all those publishers and uh, several of them turned into acquisitions. So, yeah, patience is definitely a virtue. Um, so you said that you've just recently signed a contract for a picture book with Scholastic. Um, is mm-hmm. Do you act as your – like are you submitting your, your stuff all yourself or do you have an agent now or how does that work for you? No, I do it all myself. Um, and, yeah, is it fortunate in Australia you can do that? Because I do have American friends who can't do that and they are quite astounded that that's possible. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been quite lucky, I guess. Um, I think part of it is uh, having a very strong Facebook and blog type presence, you know, like I'm, I'm constantly chatting away on there and a, a lot of those connections are linked to the industry. Um, so, yeah, and, and it was just a bit, yeah, so 
at some point um, with, with Scholastic, that was really through a connection through Anna Pinataro because she's um, published by Scholastic. So, mm. yeah, I, I think that's sort of more possible in Australia that you can do that. And did you find the process of publication different the second time around with Archie and the Bear? Was that a, uh, you know, was it did it follow the similar pattern to the first, or were there any changes? Um, yeah, there was a, well, there was a lot less editing on Archie and the Bear. That was, and that was really just sort of incidental. Like I've had other manuscripts which have been heavily edited again since then. Um, it was just particularly that story, but. Uh, I mean, that went through quite quickly compared to Too Busy Sleeping. Yeah, it just varies from situation to situation. Mm, okay. Now, your new your four-book series for independent readers, like, this is like how does it differ to writing for picture books? Like they're two quite different because with mm. picture books you're writing not only for children but you're writing for adults to read to children, whereas yeah. this early reader is for independent readers, you know, so that yeah. your, your audience is – you know, basically kids who are learning to read. So how, you know, was that a challenge to go in that direction for you? Like how does it differ the writing process um, well, to speech books? Mm, yes, it is very different. Um, so initially um, when I aspired to do this sort of writing, so writing for a slightly older age group, um, and I, I, I was interested in it because uh, Danny Parker, who is another little hair author, he has he'd written presenters. Oh, wonderful! Yes. He'd written um, Lola's Toy Box, and it had been released. And I read it, and I thought, oh, that's great! Um, I wonder if I can write um, series. And he's for slightly older than Tiggy, um, the Tiggy books, but. Um, so I, I wrote something and it was about a 3D printing machine basically that goes a bit AWOL um, and <laughs> I, I submitted that um, manus- or a few manuscripts I think to uh, Hardy Grant Egmont who deal with the fiction side of um, our publishing house and yeah, and they were very uh, lovely about it. And, again, there was intensive editing and the, the editor there was very generous with her feedback and with her suggestions. And we sort of went back and forth several times and it felt like, yeah, this is really I'm, – I'm learning something each time and a lot of it was about refining the idea, having a very strong premise and also writing very simply without writing and, – and I sort of – had a tendency to write quite quaintly, you know, a bit like Winnie the Pooh, mm. and that's that's lovely. But it's it's it, you know it's not really today. Mm. Um, so that was something I needed to kind of eke out of my system a bit, just having been raised on things like that. Um, yeah. So the more I did it, the more refined it got, and it was set, certainly um, short sentences, simple words. Um, in the case of Tiggy, which will be highly illustrated, yeah, leaving it a lot. Um, for the illustration, uh, for the illustrator, um, funny was important, and I think that the more I write and the more I develop my voice, I think it is leaning towards funny, uh, humoristic type writing. So for me, that wasn't impossible. Um, but yeah, it was just practice, really, and and also the constant suggestions from firstly the editor at um, Hardy Grant Egmont, and then later from Five Mile. The editors there were wonderful and really helped me refine those. Um, manuscripts so your writing process sounds quite organic um i'm not getting the sense that you are a a planner necessarily of a story arc etc but is that not the case i mean are you well 
<laughs> with picture books, not really. Mm. Um, it's really organic. Um, and, yeah, these days I'm using that sketching um, style to kind of capture the story f- a framework and I'll do it um, – so it's really like you're creating the skeleton. So in a way it's a bit like planning um, before you sort of write the story out I first sort of sketch it out. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Tiggy books follow a little bit of planning. Like there's, the premise is very strong. Um, I, you know, I know that the problem and I know roughly how it will be resolved. Um, but, yeah, again, I write it quite organically. It's not like a, you know, point-by-point point event, you know, narrative um but last year I was and I was just experimenting really but I wanted to write some a longer fiction and I started doing courses and things like that and I you know because I am sort of a, a pantser um I was looking into how to be more of a planner because what I was finding by being a pantser was that just writing 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 I'd get to about 10,000 words and then I would just hit a wall mm. every time and I did that sort of four or five times last year and it, uh, the, and the idea would just completely die and I think oh, this is just boring or this is just I don't know where this story's going and blah, blah. and I just immediately lose heart but then I went to um I think it's called the snowflake method which is pretty much the opposite of my writing style and I did like a, a refined version of that which was basically to do an outline um, synopsis of for each major character and by doing that I then uh, when I did have a bit of time to sit down and write something in my organic type fashion it just flowed out like a yeah it was amazing because um, you knew where everyone was going and what they were doing uh, yeah, and right. it did change a little bit along the way. But, yeah, it was really wonderful. It was really liberating. It was like, wow, this is fantastic. Yeah. There you go. A frame so I think I'm a, yeah, a bit of a combination. I, I find a lot of authors are. Like it's that – it's definitely a, you know, and you've got to find out which percentage of which you are to kind of really, as you say, hit that sweet spot where everything starts to just, you know, fall out of you, so to speak. Um, mm. That was – there's a pretty image for you right there. Maybe you don't that in one of your books. Um, all right. So now you have a young family, as you said. You've got two, you know, young, youngish children. What, seven and four? Um, mm-hmm. And you've also been travelling a fair bit because I do follow your blog and I follow your travels on your various social media, you know, mm-hmm. outlets. Um, so I must ask how you fit the writing in. How do you make that work? Yeah, well, I actually wrote a post about this on Friday, but um, yeah, it's basically I just do. And ever since um, my first daughter Elka was born, I literally had her strapped to my stomach, chest or stomach or however it is, you know, hug a bub, and I'd sit on the gym ball and I would write because she was one of those babies who didn't lie down and sleep. So I literally had her on me most of the day. And then the same with my second child. And it was quite handy in a way because they had all their sleeps like that. And I just sat on the gym ball and wrote and did a little bit of bouncing here and there. Um, and <laughs> was sort of, it was quite handy. You know, to, I, had, I did have time to do that in the sense um and then you know kids do take up a lot of time and um my four-year-old isn't even at preschool at the moment um you know so I'm with her a lot so there isn't a lot of time to write but 
I do find those little pockets here and there and um, my husband and I have always had quite flexible incomes in that we both work for ourselves uh, or we've both been casual. So, you know, it is possible to drop things and pick things up depending on, you know, what the situation is. And we've had periods of our lives which are just so crazy busy where we're renovating, we're both working like crazy and and those times I don't even attempt to write or, or maybe I just sort of jot a few things in a notebook. But, yeah, I don't put pressure on myself. But what a, with the travelling, though, that was fantastic because um, I think there is something about being away from your home that does inspire a certain creativity, or well, for me at least. Um, and I, uh, yeah, was quite liberated and did have time to write because um, I had a, a lot of family support over there and, you know, I wrote um, – you know, a novel, I don't know that will ever be published, but it was a middle, middle grade type novel. Um, but I wrote the whole thing, you know, whilst my family were busy holidaying at the lake and I was too, but I was sort of more concerned with writing. Mm. So, nice. yeah, I found that having that time was, you know, really amazing. So when I did have that time, I used it to its capacity. Do you think there's a misconception that writing shorter books, like be they picture books or early readers or whatever, is actually is easier yeah, it's definitely just different. Um, and I think there's there's more difficult things about it that don't necessarily um, meet the eye. Um, well, yeah, I've sort of explained the editing process has been intensive um, on the picture books and uh, it's, yeah, it's things you wouldn't think of, you know, just the sound of a word or um just rephrasing things in an original way, thinking of original way to phrase things. Find just having original ideas mm. um, is, you know, there's so many picture books and things out there. Like how do you make something which is different or how do you have an original idea? And I'm fortunate that I've got two young kids and so they are a big source of inspiration. Mm. Um, yeah, but I, I, I don't know. It's just different, I guess. And I, But I am interested in playing around with, writing for different age groups of children, still children, but different age groups because I guess I want to challenge myself and I want to know if it is possible. Um, yeah, but it's, yeah, it's just a different format. Um, now, as I mentioned, you and I met through blogging many years ago. What role do you think, I mean, you know, the blog has been quite instrumental in some ways in uh, getting your, well, your publishing break in a funny way over porticots um but (laughs) like do you do you what what role do you think that the blog and your online platform in general has played in your kind of publishing journey so to speak well absolutely huge yeah like you mentioned having that first contact um and then when I did announce that too busy sleeping was being published it was just this outpouring of excitement Mm -hmm. from um, various people in that community so I was really amazed by how appreciative everyone was of it and that's continued even you know up to now and yeah so very supportive Um, the actual contacts within that blogging community so other bloggers like yourself you know people who I've met through blogging either at conferences or just online have been hugely important in that process, especially when it's come to marketing the books because mm. um, with Too Busy Sleeping, uh, well, I think this is just the case with publishing, you, know, you, you are expected to market your own books 
quite a lot. Um, you know, publishing houses don't have endless resources, like, so they're not going to be able to do a huge marketing campaign for every single book. Um, so the more you can do yourself, the better. Um, and I, what I did was I was already connected with Australian blogging groups and so I put out messages in there and said, would anyone be interested in reviewing my books? And I got many, many, many replies and from my own um, stock of books, I actually sent to just about everyone and with a very appreciative note and I think most of them reviewed it on their blogs or various platforms and that was very helpful mm. and I also put it out there um, just a message to say would anyone be interested in me coming to your town or your book sh- bookstore or your school your preschool or your school and I got a lot of uh, invitations that way mm. and so I did a really extensive blog tour a uh, book tour when too busy sleeping came out and uh, I've done that to a lesser extent with this book but yeah it was yeah was hugely proactive and a lot of that was coming through my blog and the contacts I've made through blogging. So do you do you find that you kind of use your blog and your social media in the same way now as you used to or has it changed slightly now that you've uh, got books out? Yeah, it's changed quite a bit. Um, mm. So initially I was uh, – initially my blog was Heart Mama and it was all really about parenting and mm. sort of lovely signs of parenting. Um, and then when I found out about the picture book, I did actually rebrand, so to speak, and changed it to My Little Sunshine House because I wanted it to be more about um, – it was still about family but it was less focused on the actual style of parenting. It was mm. more about sort of family – incidental things that were going on or things that I could relate somehow to pitch books and um, creativity was a big focus in that and now I've actually just moved my blog entirely I'm still blogging at my little sunshine house but I've as my children get older as lots of bloggers find this it gets harder to write those intimate family stories I find you know just for privacy reasons but Lots of other reasons, and so I, I find I've got less and less to say on that personal family blog, but I still want to write more and more about writing itself and about the process of writing, and so what I've done is started to blog on my author website, and already I'm getting lots of readers over there, um, and I've made the – I'm targeting towards readers, uh, towards writers and want-to-be writers and readers of pitch books and children's books. So, yeah, I find that's been really definitely a big organic change. Um, yeah, but it's constantly evolving. And we find your uh, we find your website, of course, at zannylouise.com and we'll put the link in the show notes to that because there are some fantastic posts over there about writing and other things um, that you should probably have a look at. But also I've reckoned, and I know I've talked about this before, but your blog, your sorry, your website, your author website is one of the nicer, most well-organized uh, <laughs> author blogs that, you know, or author websites that I visit on a regular basis. And um, I think that, you know, aspiring authors could would would be, you know, well advised to pop over and have a quick look at what Zanny's doing because um, it's simple and effective. And I think that that's basically what we're looking for for from author websites these days. Um, and I also noticed that you actually sell books directly from your website, which is quite unusual um, for an author in some ways. I'm just wondering, you know, why you set that up and how that kind of came about. Mm, I can't remember exactly why I did that initially, but um, 
I asked my publisher if that was possible and it is, it was with little hair. Um, and yeah, I guess I just wanted to give people another option because I have such a, um, a lovely supportive online community. I just, and they were constantly showing, you know, such, yeah, saying such lovely things about the book and talking about where they could buy it, etc. And And you can buy it at most good bookshops. Um, but I guess I just wanted to give people another online option. Um, and it's a signed copy, so yeah. that's a, that's a difference. Yeah, which makes a big difference um, for a lot of people. Um, okay, so our last question for today is, of course, the famous three top tips for a star – not so famous <laughs> right now – three top <laughs> tips for aspiring writers. Well, I just wrote about this um, on Friday, so it's fresh in my head. But one of them is keeping your creativity close at hand. So what I mean by that is constant, even no matter how busy you are or no matter what you're doing in your life, keep being creative in no matter, you know, what function you can. So it's whether it's writing on the back of a serviette or scribbling down things in a notebook or writing in the mist of the on the mirror you know just keep doing little tasks constantly activates those creative muscles so then when you do have your pockets of time where you can write or do what it is you do um the the creative juices are already flowing and i find it's much easier to then produce something um and so on that token um it's just constantly keeping an ear out or an eye out for ideas and potential ideas and every little innate moment in your life can become something you know bigger and can become a story can become a fiction series you know there's so much opportunity um but it's about just attending to them so um, I do tend to watch a lot of Netflix and I feel like it's sucking the juice out of life. Um, but, you know, I could pay my attention to Netflix or I could pay my attention, you know, to the possibility of story and I find that's, you know, will take me further in life. Um, yeah, so my third tip, hmm, I definitely think nurturing your relationships and your community is very important. Um, finding your your um, comrades um, I've got a couple of girls I write to on a weekly basis and we're very supportive of each other's work and our journey and it's very very um, you know a fantastic thing for me but also your online communities and your publishing contacts and attending conferences and really and and not exhausting those contacts but really sort of nurturing them and you know giving back to that community so you know like what I do on my blog I like sharing writing tips I like you know sharing my experiences and hope that helps other people you know so yeah really being an active member of those communities I think will benefit you to no end Fantastic. All excellent tips. Thank you so much for your time uh, today, Zanny Louise. It's been absolutely lovely talking to you. Of course, Archie and the Bear is out this week. Uh, keep an eye out for it in all good bookshops or you can pop along to zannylouise.com and buy yourself a signed copy. Why would you not? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, best of luck with all of the many, many projects that you've got coming up. Thank you so much. It was so lovely to talk to you. Mm-hmm. 
Zanny Louise. I mean, isn't that a great name, Zanny Louise? <laughs> I know. It's really memorable. It. I know. It's really memorable. And I I, um, I just think, you know, it's so lovely to see. She's such a lovely person. Like I, we mm. we have connected on via blogging, via parenting blogging many, many years ago. So she's one of those people that's kind of, you know, we've been in that that blogging community space together for a long time. And it's been yeah. so fabulous to watch her um, develop, you know, through the blogging and then, you know, into the picture book, the first picture book mm. came out and she had that community around her, which made such a difference. You know, it was that first picture book that she did, uh, Too Busy Sleeping, was just everywhere. And she talks about how she went to bookshops and she she really made an effort to put herself out there to yeah. talk to groups of people, groups of parents, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And I think um, it, I think it really paid off for her because, you know, I'm watching now her career and she's got those new books coming out and she's got, you know, she's working on middle grade. She's got all sorts of different things happening. And I think it's, it's wonder. I, I love, you know, when you see people, you know, that you've connected with in any way and mm. you see them doing so well, I think. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's really wonderful. Good honour. How wonderful. Mm. And now um, I'm just going to her website. It's zannylouise.com, so Z-A-N-N-I, louise.com, and it's just gorgeous. I love the illustrations, you know. Yeah, it's a lovely website and it's one that I often, you know, when I – uh, I'm talking to authors about author platforms. I, uh, she's hers is one of the ones that I do use as a lovely example. And it's not just because it's so evocative, like it's a beautiful, it's illustrations and it's beautiful looking mm. thing, but it's very sim- The navigation of it is 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 all is everything it needs to be in the sense that it's simple. You can find yourself your way so around simple. easily. She's got, you know, it's easy to find her books. It's easy to buy her books. It's just, yep. um, you know, it's a it's a great example of organization for an author website, I think. Yep. Love it. All right. Let's move on to a, we have um, a shout out to Alana Mack. Now I love this because Al, remember how a few episodes ago we spoke about the woman who wrote her novel while on her commute and she would get on the bus and she would Mm -hmm. write with her laptop perched on her lap and, you know, and she ended up uh, with her novel. Well, Alana Mack heard that on the podcast and she left us a review on iTunes where she has said, she's called it writing on the train and she has said I love your podcasts but was recently inspired by the story of a woman who wrote on the bus every day from that day on I started to leave my car at home skip the awful traffic and take the 30 minute train ride to work and back I Ah. thought it would be hard to type on my lap with distractions but the sounds are like gray noise that actually help me to focus I find my destination taking me by surprise as I am deep in the story so after day Two, she's written the first. She's written chapter three of a YA novel that she started in uni a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I arrive both at work and home with a huge smile and anticipation for the next trip. I used to look at my computer and the long day ahead and never make the time to write, and then beat myself up over the lost opportunities. This method is like a little like the 20-minute egg timer. <laughs> Thank you for providing inspiration and encouragement and these simple tools. Oh, like, that's fat. I love it. Oh, Go Alana Mack. absolutely love I it. Hope you are, I hope you're still doing it because it's such a great way to get your first draft done because you just, you're yes. adding those words every single day and, you yep. know, before you know it, there you go, full manuscript. Yeah. 
Fantastic. And of course, Atlanta has shown that she's found, she's made the time to write Mm -hmm. by choosing to leave her car at home and go on this commute on the train. And I think it's fantastic. And of course, there are many ways that you can make time to write because there are only 24 hours in one day. And Mm -hmm. the key is to carve out the time at the appropriate moments so that you actually have time to write something that that you can build on and eventually turn into potentially a book. And of course, this and other fantastic uh, tips are in Alison's course, aptly called How to Make Time to Write, where because Alison is one of the busiest writers I know, and she writes and has her finger in so many different pies, plus has a family with two children and a procrastinate pup and husband, and they all take up and a lot husband. of time. I, I know. So so I always marvel at where she finds time to write so many different things. And you can find out more about Alison's fantastic course at writerscenter.com.au slash time. That's writerscenter.com.au slash time. So – what <laughs> when you're making time to write in the coming week, Al? Until we chat again, what will you be doing? Well, you know, uh, with that sort of you know slightly removed deadline for the Adaban Cipher two, I'll be editing. Um, and it has to be yes. said that editing is one of those things that um, it's a slightly different dynamic to writing um, in the mm. sense of it's a lot more difficult to do in thirty minute snatches. So I do have to. This is this is something I need to focus on. However. As I have said, I'm in the process of doing the heavy lifting of, you know, shifting words around and stuff. But I have done so much of the work before I even sit down mm. by doing while I'm doing other things. So it's it's a it, there's a lot of um, you know there's a lot of that deep thinking stuff that needs to be done before you edit anything that can mm. be done you know while you walk the dog, while you weed the garden, while you wash the dishes, you know while you do all of those different things that you that you're doing. So there's always a way to make time to get things done. And then then yeah. there comes a time where you have to like this is me sitting down and actually getting into it with these hard yards. So I have yeah. scheduled the time to do that. Well done. Good on you. And you, you are organized. What will you be doing? Will you be doing what rope will I art? Be doing? Well, will you be doing yes. weaving. I will. I will be doing rope art and weaving. So I uh, have learnt a whole heap of brand new techniques lately thanks to some individual tuition from some, you know, fantastic artists, which I'm really excited about. But in the world of writing, well, as you know, the Sydney Writers' Festival is coming up. Mm. Uh, It's always in May and it's always such a great time to – immerse yourself in the world of well really it's not so much it's 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 not really named appropriately in Sydney Writers Festival of course there are lots of writers there but it's really immersing yourself in the world of books and and the world of reading to be honest mm. And, and I love it and uh, I will be – because there's so many events on, I'll have my spreadsheet out and I will be um, <laughs> look, determining what I'm going to do on different days. So mm. I always like doing that, planning my, my week at the Writers' Festival. Fantastic. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you will find me on Facebook and Instagram with my Procrastipop um, at Alison Tate Writer. 
and you can probably hear my procrasty pup in the I background. I know. I was thinking there's a, there's a bit of action going on in the background there. Yeah, going a bit nuts, so I better go tend to him. Okay. That would be Groucho. You'll <laughs> find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to connect with me on Facebook and please do reach out to us on social media and we'd love to hear what you think about the podcast. And, of course, you can find the show notes at all times at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>